Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Tua T Fitness. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Last Summer Edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me is my partner in crime, my partner in murder, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What do you got for us, Tom? I just tried to stab you with a knife, Carla. I don't really feel like dancing. <laughs> A, t- a terrible line. dialogue. <laughs> probably that, um, and this says it all about this movie, comes seconds after probably the best line in the movie. Uh, almost as if they just couldn't leave what's good about this movie alone. <laughs> right. When Brandy, a.k.a. Moesha, um, emerges from the closet to say, I just wanted your black skirt, but I'm not ready to die for it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, totally. And some screenwriters like, you know, as good as that is, it's not enough. We need we need something that just just I just got to add a little something, something to it. Something that undoes what's good about that line. <laughs> Almost exactly. Let's just let's unwrap that gift and throw a big piece of shit on it. Yeah. All right, everyone. We are today talking about the 1998 movie, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, directed by Danny Cannon. This is a sequel to the 1997 film, I Know What You Did Last Summer. So this movie came out one year later. They were ready to go, Tom. Yeah, and I, I, I noticed that, and they, 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 they're a movie that wants to kind of keep the timeline um, of the fictional universe in sync with the release schedules of the movie, at least at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, that was very noticeable, not least because they, they tell us that this is one year since right. uh, the murders happen, uh, probably twice in the first two minutes of the movie. Yeah, we, they, they make it clear, oh, we're back to the summer. I did, I did think that, I mean, without having any specific examples to go on, that this is quite common in horror movies that they they have this one year gap. Maybe this is what Kevin Williamson was riffing on. Maybe was that there is this one year gap, and it's typically to to make sure that, uh, you know, you're not when you make your sequel, you're not making it in the future, so it doesn't become science fiction until you want it to become <laughs> science fiction when you're completely out of options. Right when you have to <laughs> see Jason X. Right. So I feel like this is but, a pretty common. I mean, that's an amazing but also, turnaround. But, we have to wait like but also, six years for oh, a yeah. film now. Right. <laughs> and the amazing, you know, also when you base your titles off of a season, so it's going to have to take place <laughs> every year. Yeah, and that's something saying, that you know what I mean? We we get a lot of uh, of kind of arbitrary additions to the mythology in the third movie. And one of those is that he, the fisherman only strikes on July 4th. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think he's, he's just a, he's just well, a and to general be clear, summer killer. To, yeah. To be clear, he does strike on the 4th of July or 4th of July weekend and the first two movies. Okay. But, but it's the same guy attacking the same people. It's, it's not, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, you know, when you were told horror stories when you were a kid, it was, you know, this person could attack you at any time. The guy with the hook and it's, you know, it's scraping on the roof or that kind of shit. And in this movie, well, we're not even too. Th- well, you just don't go out that day. It's like the purge, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, right. Just, just fucking stay in. Just just stay home and have yourself a cocktail and a hot dog, for fuck's sake. Lock the doors. Yeah. And don't send your parents away, which is apparently what everyone in horror films does. 
that's they're always gone. They look like. Don't you think that the parents in these kinds of horror movies look like real assholes? They're always abandoning their children on major holidays. And I like look. This is a podcast about sequels, but I do want to just take a moment to speak to the original movie, which you know this movie was a hit. I mean, it, they the original. I know what you did last summer. They spent seventeen million on mm-hmm. it and made seventy two million. Just in the USA, 125 worldwide. So you knew a sequel was coming. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking to your point about the parents, they're all kind of always gone. And you have all this young talent in that movie. Mm-hmm. But they're not good in that movie. <laughs> uh, Moesha's got some moves, but everyone else is terrible. Well, and I, but I'm speaking to the original movie. Like Ryan Philippe, I he's have not a seen talented actor. I should get that out now. Okay. I haven't seen it. I, I, I just, I, I, I just haven't seen it. I marvel at the lack of good acting Uh (laughs) in that original movie. And I think you're right. I think this particular sequel, you know, there's better acting in it, but this movie, and I, okay, I've got two different statistics here i have one that says that this movie had a budget of 65 million dollars which makes me think what did you spend it on what 65 million dollars that was one one weekend in the well in mexico not the bahamas right (laughs) but i i have another note that says it's reported that this budget was 65 million but that's not really true it was 24 million okay I don't know, but the movie made forty million dollars, and it was it really underperformed. Mm. People didn't like it. It didn't even get a worldwide gross. It stayed at forty million. Like they 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 said, ah, no, thank you. We're not gonna we're not gonna push it out. Wow, I mean, it's it's like you said, you know, it was inevitable, and also I think because of the kind of movie it is, it's inevitable as well. You know, slasher movies, which loosely this you know this movie belongs to. I, you're already kind of sorta. It is. <laughs> I know. Let's face it. But, but it's just—it's like the clunkiest version of that movie. Let's call it a hooker. Because <laughs> it's not really slashing; they're hooking. It's not a hooker movie. I mean, it's not a slasher movie. It's more of a hooker, hooker movie, movie, which is 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 a apt not a prostitute. You take that. Yeah, not a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> But, you, you know, built into that model is that the slasher movie ends with a final girl who survives. And then... Right. So it's pretty easy to know where to go on from there. You just make the, the next movie about the final girl. And sure. you, um, you've got a built-in character up because she's traumatized. And right. everyone's telling her that this can't happen again. And then it happens again. So, that, so that's there's the... your movie, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and they that's that's where they're trying to put this film essentially. Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, yeah. I that the way that they built the way that they built this movie, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's that's what you do. That's where that's where you go in these It's things. where it's supposed to go, but I do want to talk first off because well, first of all, you have this ridiculous dream. This movie starts with a dream sequence. <laughs> I and really like this. I was her 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 being religious is not at all a part of the first movie. But it's got nothing to do with that. It's it's so, confession booth is just a perfect expositional device. Yeah, exactly. You got you've but, got a dream sequence with a confession booth. They just want to get out all the exposition in the first scene. In the first scene, but of course I you know I'm sitting there. I, <laughs> I just want, it bothers me because I I'm thinking to myself, why would this woman dream about being in a confessional? Yes, this is only to serve the script. The character would not be dreaming this. This is bullshit. So I find that upsetting. You don't know this, but the first movie actually ends with Jennifer Love Hewitt in a steamy shower. Right. She gets a phone well, call. Well, that doesn't surprise you, me. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it ends exactly like you'd think it would. Towel wrapped around her body. Her She gets a phone call. So it's clear that she and Freddie Prince Jr. are back together again. She walks back into the shower room. She's like at college. An inordinate, inordinate amount of steam. And then the killer jumps through a glass door to murder her. 
which this movie handles in the first two minutes by saying, uh, you know, when when she meets, she's got the new uh, friend who's a boy, right? Who says, who says, oh, was it the the shower dream again? Uh-huh. And she goes, no, it was the the you know confessional dream. So she's just a full chock full of reoccurring dreams. She's like you said, she's being triggered. She has PTSD. But what I want to talk about is Freddie Prince Jr. comes down for the 4th of July weekend. And he wants her to come home with her to the town where she was almost murdered. And she just sort of says, I'm not ready to do that. And he kind of says the boyfriend thing of, hey, I understand that. But then he plays the manipulation card of, I guess you just don't need to see me either. Yeah, and he's about to let, and just to add to that, he's about to propose to her. Right. And if he's not, I don't think he's ready for marriage. If he's not willing to accept that a year after all her friends were murdered and she was nearly murdered, that she's that, that she, she still, still has problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you guess the point where she has to try and like verbalize this, and so she says, you know, a small part of me hasn't healed up yet, and I'm like. Yeah, a yeah. single year is a very short amount of time to recover from a major right. event. Like, but again, this is this is where the genre is like, is like pushing on the film because you know horror movies they you just have to accept that uh, they they don't give you that time to recover. They expect the characters in it to get over it, and that's the conflict. Correct. And so that yes. is a, that's and a that's genre the, thing, that... but it makes. In, That's the inherent problem with the genre, But in putting right. it in Freddie Prince Jr.'s, you know, who is the kind of the savior of this movie in many respects. Um, he's the, well, the, uh, the, uh, yeah. the uh, deus ex machina that, of this movie. Um, <laughs> it makes him look like a douche from the outset, which really kind of hurts his characterization going forward. Tom, he is a douche. This is the problem. Like we spoke in the in our introductory episode about the kind of politics of this movie. My problem with this movie is this shows how Hollywood regards men versus women. It's, you know, the the focus is not on her where it should be. It's on him with I guess you don't really like me and he's making her feel guilty about feelings that she should be feeling. And that really bugs me. A hundred percent. It's just shitty. Yeah, well, to, you know, what, as we kind of anticipated in the um, in our little mini-sode about this, um, we we both have the same problem with this movie, but with... Uh, we we, we, said, we right. thought that we might have di- the same problem with this movie, but l- different examples. And that's exactly what has happened. Because my, <laughs> I knew it. Because because I feel exactly the same way you do, but I'm but my vehicle for this is the Mackie Pfeiffer character. Okay, yeah. Because I... Well, I, and I you're like, absolutely right. <laughs> this is later This is later in the movie, um, but uh, the way he treats... Brandy, when she tries to stand up to Ben Willis, right, is just appalling. She gets out a knife and it's like, "You're gonna cut vegetables? You're gonna butter it?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ! She's just looking for a knife. His and whole like, and she's a kickboxer. Yeah, she has more physical skill than you do. Than you do to beat up a man. Well, and also his whole. His whole idea of their relationship being successful is whether or not he's currently having sex with her. Yeah, I was so confused. He by... just like everything about him for for more than half of this movie is can't we just fuck? Everybody's interrupting us fucking. And and if the movie was making it clear that it thinks these guys are appalling, I would be okay with that. But oh yeah, fact, but the, no. The movie endorses their behavior, you know, making Freddie Prince Jr. Um, you know, the hero, you know, the the kind of cavalry of this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and with Mickey Pfeiffer as well, like they they have this whole scene where you show Brandy kickboxing, and I'm I'm waiting for the moment where she, you know, uses it, the shit out of Ben <laughs> right. Willis. But she's, you know, she still needs these two big strong men to come in and save her, and it's just. Bullshit. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Also, speaking back to the scene that I was speaking to earlier about the, you know, Freddie Prince Jr. 
as as is it Ray? Right. I don't care. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm not even got IMDb up. It's Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. So so they have that fight, and then they call later, and he says he does say he's sorry, but she says. No, I'm sorry. I'm the one who should be sorry. And I'm thinking, no, you you shouldn't. You should not be the one who's sorry. No. He's being an asshole. Uh, it's basic, Basically, he gets away with toxic masculinity because right. he's not the son of a serial murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that's it. That's, that's basically, that's the kind of, that's how low the bar is on what we consider a good man in this movie. Yeah, right, exactly. You're not active, you know, you only kill people in self-defense. <laughs> but, uh, you, I mean, another thing you mentioned was was college. Mm-hmm. That they're at college. And I was, I was unclear as to what kind of education these people were getting. <laughs> so that one of them mentioned summer school, which... To me, is the the idea that they're all, if not learning disabled, then you know, a little on the slow side. <laughs> that's really scans for me in this movie. Yes, because who who answers a geography question by looking at a bag of coffee? Right. <laughs> and also, I mean, I'm so glad that it that it came back up later in the story as as the worst reveal ever. It's great, you know. I, but, I, I, I was in my notes. I was bashing the movie. I'm like, really? It's 1998, and we're still doing radio station competition. Well, yeah. Uh, so a, vacation, we're doing but, a radio station, but it comes into play, right? So it's yeah, a radio yeah, it's station competition. Out. They ask them what the capital of Brazil is, and they say Rio de Janeiro and win. And in my head, I'm like, this is the worst radio competition ever. You're wrong. That's not the fucking capital. Yeah. But it comes back What's into play of, later. In retrospect, she didn't even need to be that close to the mark. Yeah, right. Like, she could have said, like, uh, coffee. And if like, you've won a You've won! <laughs> and that's the other thing. Why not just send something in the mail that says, you're a sweepstakes winner. Go, go to... Th- also... Can we just talk for a moment? Because maybe that maybe they're too maybe they can't read. <laughs> I'm getting the vibe that they can't read. That, School is not rubbing off on these. That's kids. a clear possibility. But I want to talk about the idea of this movie essentially being a vacation murder story. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just I immediately imagined the killer of this movie in a travel agent shop <laughs> and the tra- you know like in the slicker hook on and oh, oh okay i see i see um so so it's going to be four thousand dollars to get there and the travel agent's like yeah yeah four thousand dollars and what if i don't go first class <laughs> you know like i just i wanted that scene of the killer trying to find his way to the bahamas more than anything else in this movie Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that would have, that would have all been an improvement. I'd rather see that than the, uh, the unedited circumstances of how Freddie Prince Jr. Yes, got to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but th- this is relevant. Um, the the movie is is trying to basically. It's blowing the surprise that he will turn up at the end right. and save them. Yeah. So that, that surprise is blown. Be- because it's never more designed. about the fact is people will think, how did he get to the island in a storm? Yeah. <laughs> which, so, is, which is why but, you don't make the choice in the first place to leave him behind. But that's just me talking. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just getting in to I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Stay tuned, and we'll talk more about the failings of this glorious movie. And some of the good stuff. Okay. (laughs) We'll be right back.
I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beer. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. We're here talking about the 1998 film I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Tom, when we left, we were, we were, you know, joking about how this murderer might get to the Bahamas to for this vacation set of murders. Right. the The idea that 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 they went to the Bahamas to me is the the silliest thing in this movie. Yeah. I don't know if it makes it just bad or it's pure genius. Well, it's in how bad it is. It's certainly not just this movie. I mean. One of the things that, that sequels, one of the plays that sequels have to um, to switch things up is to relocate the action of the original right. to somewhere else. And doing it internationally is common. There's a whole, I mean, you probably won't know this, but there's a whole set of British sitcoms from the 70s, like Are You Being Served, Sep, Steptoe and Son. And when they made feature film versions of these movies... The standard device was they would go to Spain. So, hmm. and so I mean, it's it's like, and you know, you think about Babe Pig in the City, and you know, right. the Crocodile Dundees, and it's like the the it's just a it's it's just a a way of switching things up. Um, sure, but that typically adds nothing but a different backdrop. Questions. Yeah, but you know what is kind of remarkable is how efficient. I do like the efficiency of this movie. Is how they're able to terraform an island paradise like the Bahamas, which is actually Mexico, but it's doing the same job, right? Into what is essentially a haunted house. So as soon as they start traveling there, you get like a um, a seafaring type going. This is the only way on or off the island. Yeah, exactly. It's like, storms are coming. It's going to be storms for days. Well, I want to talk about that because, okay, look. Yes, hurricane season starts like June 1st and goes through, say, October or November. But the worst of it is August and September. So the idea that on the 4th of July weekend... Everybody leaves the Bahamas and it becomes a desolate island. It's the most ridiculous thing that this movie posits. And I, it makes me want to punch this movie in the face. And yet I also kind of think it's genius in how stupid it is. You know, you, you know, you know that it's all about getting them as isolated as possible. Right. So, you, you know, you have island, storm. The phone's down. The hotel's empty. There's a vicious dog. Literally, this is li- my. Li- there's literally no more reason they could be uh, more isolated. Yeah, the phone's down is one of my favorite scenes in how stupid it is. It's it's amazing because the storm hasn't even started yet. <laughs> it's not even raining at the time the phones go down. Jennifer Love Hewitt picks up the phone and the, uh, what's his name? Jeffrey, what's that actor's name? Jeffrey Combs? The, 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 Jeffrey, the hotel The guy from the reanimator. Yeah. yeah, the receptionist from the reanimator and from Frighteners. 
She picks up the phone and he says, they just went down a couple minutes ago. Yeah. As if that's the reason he came into the room. They try, they was try to and give put that an information on that scene, which just about. Oh, man. Where she, so she, she, she does the thing that people do in horror movies where someone says the phone's down and they still check the phone. Yeah, right. And he's like, I just told you that the phone's are down. <laughs> I, I just fucking <laughs> said. So I kind of I liked how they, they, they sort of made reference to, to that as a. As the you know, like a as a dumb thing that people do in horror movies, but it is trying to put you know like a a a, a kind of gloss on the fact that this is a dumb thing that the movie's doing. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My other thing, did you notice? And it's this happens in all kind of horror movies, but it is so prominent in this particular sequel of. When somebody senses there's danger behind them, they do the slowest possible turn Mm -hmm. to try and see what's behind them. That's not how we act. When you think something's behind you, you go, yeah, like I just banged my closet door trying to simulate for you how quickly we actually turn around. And the, the, like, I just think it's hysterical that in all horror movies, but this one especially, oh, yeah. everyone is... Uh, 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 uh. Well, and, and also just like, it's it's sort of, it negates going, going somewhere different, like moving the story if you're going to do exactly the same thing you did when the person was at home. So yes. Jennifer Love Hewitt like slowly walks around her apartment when she thinks someone's in there, and oh, it's Brandy. Um, uh huh. And then she, when she gets to the hotel room in the Bahamas, she does exactly the same thing. It's sort of like, right. It's like you know, I don't know if they're trying to make some comment about how you know when you go to a hotel you do the things you do at home. I doubt it. Right. Yeah, but this it's well. So, but I have a note too that reminds me. My I have a note here about. What what's the what's the new boyfriend's name? I don't even no, know. No, I, I mean, yeah, uh, Benson. But yeah, yeah, Benson. Benson, which you know would be, if she figured that out. If she figured out he was the serial killer's son because his surname is Benson, right? <laughs> she would be a genius, and we know for a fact she's not because she looks at a bag of coffee when someone asks her a geography question. <laughs> That's fucking great. But there's this moment where I believe it's the moment where she has seen not the maid. I think it's the 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 kid from the docks who who's like hung up in her closet. There's blood on the floor. She freaks yeah. out. Oh my god, it's happening again. It's happening again. By the way, everyone who's her friend knows this actually happened. She was stalked by a murderer a year ago. <laughs> She's saying it's happening again, and they all go, oh, you're just freaking out. Don't even worry about it. But she goes back into her room alone, and Ben's son tries to do a sneak attack with flowers. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you... Uh, well, and, and, to, and to your point... Um... They continue to question her sanity even after they found corpses in the hotel. Yes! It's like, what is it going to take you to convince you that there is something fucked up going on here? How many dead people do you have to see? So, and the other thing that's funny about this movie and the, the movie that preceded it, the murderer... The mur... Okay... The original movie, these kids hit the guy, right? Yeah. They throw him into the water, but he they think he's dead, but but he survives. He comes back for revenge. He wants to kill all those kids that were involved in fucking his shit up. But in both movies, and in this one especially, man, he's killing a lot of people that have nothing to do with these, you know... So, with with anything that happened last summer. Well, ex- but they th- at one point Bill Cobbs, who you know I think we both love as an actor, yes, throws out some something about 
a murder that took place in the hotel. Yeah, I don't know. Was that committed by Ben Willis? I think the movie is... Is is that what happened? I don't know. That's the question I have for you. Because I, I, I have a note that sort of says, you know, the, 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 my classic classic note for all these movies is is this <laughs> something that happened in the original that happened did, did, did they really, mention yeah this right before? and it's just a different you know name um it's just a different yeah. subject but it's the same idea um so i didn't know whether they were trying to suggest and and you know it's pretty important in terms of the characterization of the killer because if he if he's not the murderer if he hasn't committed murders before they threw him in the river and hit him with a car, then I'm on his side. Totally, 100%. (laughs) That he has the moral authority in this film. But if he killed, like, his wife and kids a few years before, then it's kind of 50-50, could go either way. Yeah, I I guess, if I remember correctly, in the original film... He's not a good guy? Yeah, it was like, he was there to kill some... He he had killed... I don't remember. (laughs) But there was something with another family who's... I think brother or some. Uh, fuck. I mean, there's, there's and, gotta, be, there's gotta be. Otherwise, this guy is a hundred percent in the right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like that. You know, it's like, and this is this is probably like one of the 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 reasons that it didn't, um, that it didn't evolve into a name, you know, a, a kind of name slasher is that, right? If you think about the other the Freddies and the Michael Myers, it's like. Either they're, you know, psychopaths mm-hmm. or whatever revenge plan they had, you know, they, they they take it too far and they target the wrong people. As far as I'm concerned, this guy is, you know, um, I mean, he's killing the people. But I if think he- that's what I'm speaking to is this idea that, like, you know, because, yes, if like the kids did something bad in the first movie. They deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> they, like you said, they deserve their comeuppance, but this guy's killing people that had nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, but that, that presumably that's why but they're bringing ju- up. But that's just a, that's just a byproduct of a bad script that doesn't want the, doesn't want the, the heroes to die for a, for a, you know, a, a long time. I, they I want to keep those actors so. around. I guess so, but you know, I, 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 still, I mean, look, I still have even to in this movie. Morris. Look, even in this movie, four there's four essential heroes, right? If you have Brandy, right, and, and her boyfriend, and so you've got Mackay Pfeiffer, and you've got. Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Mm-hmm. Hewitt. H- how many of those people survive? Three. Three of the four. I kind of so, like that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's because it because you know the the as we said that the convention is that only one girl survives, and I like the idea of this gender and ra- this racially a one white girl. So I like this. I like this idea of the the gender mixed trio. Well, I will. I will concede that if both Brandy and her boy Mackay Pfeiffer got killed, that'd be super fucked up. Okay, so you've given me the launch pad to talk about what really bothers me about this movie. Okay? Go. So, and this this is, like, it's amazing to me that, you know, in the recent cull of how racist pop culture has been. Right. Even in recent times. This period of like the late 90s to the early 2000s is where most of the examples of that were from. The Jimmy Fallon blackface, the Jimmy Kimmel mm-hmm. blackface, all the Jimmys and the blackfaces. Um, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, like I I see it as part of the same thing where we've kind of, they, we've kind of come so comfortable with this idea of postmodern irony that when you apply it to things like race... You get so comfortable, it goes full circle, and you end up just being racist again. Yeah, right. And th- so this movie is is trying to kind of comment on how 
you know, the trope of black people in horror movies get killed first. But mm-hmm. in doing that, it does it in such a kind of lax way that disproportionately more black people die in this movie than white people. Yes. And not only that, Completely we have a mystical, and totally. aged black man, which is not doing Bla- yeah, you... racial politics any good. There's a bagger, there's a bagger Vance <laughs> present in this movie. Who, you know, who not like four years ago played, you know, a, a, the same, the same character in the Hudsucker proxy. But, but with, right. with greater humor and and self reflection, of course, <laughs> of what he was doing. But you also, and, you know, it made and me you think also of a have movie, a movie like because you have Jack Black oh. culturally appropriating in this movie as well. Oh my god! Although I'll say this, I'll say this. I have a note that says the best acting in this movie is when he dies. I I think I think when he came on screen, I was like, finally, someone who's able to carefully judge the tone of this movie. Yeah, totally. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Carefully. He's a, he's a, he's basically in his own funny or die sketch that is yeah, like you completely. know that has been digitally inserted into this movie, and it's but you know that they, they they're so brazen about black people being killed first that there's a guy who wants to be black in the same shot who gets away scot free, right. <laughs> He's like walking around smoking. The killer don't go nowhere near him, and then just and that's what I mean. Well, about, like they are for a while to the fact that like oh, if there's a black person and a white person in the shot, the black person's gonna get killed first because it's a horror movie, right? But in doing that, it like you know, it's like pretty much what ninety percent of the black characters in this movie die. Mm-hmm. Uh, only Brand. I mean, you wouldn't be able to a- kill everyone them. except Brandy, and I right? think you you know that's clear. You can't kill off Moesha. Um, and there's there's another scene which made me think of well the whole time I thought of Moesha but the the scene that really made me thought of it is when she's jumping up and down on the bed in the hotel and I'm like I have a movie, note about that I've why, what are these people if doing this wasn't Moesha this would be a nude scene this would be a nude sex scene that she's mm-hmm. someone is coming and going Moesha cannot be naked she is gonna lose her fucking audience if you have her screwing on screen naked so right. Um, anyway, that's that's by the by, but yeah, I think I think this movie is uncomfortably fits into that past trend. Oh, it's so. It's just like it's like and and excuse the pun, but it's like a black hole in our political consciousness where we got so used to the idea of referring to racism that we just became racist again. Yeah, and that's you know, and Jack Black is the sort of symbol the symbol of that. Um, he's not necessarily the cure to it, though. No. <laughs> also, speaking speaking of movies that we've done before, um, which we weren't, uh, <laughs> um, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go on. Did you get Dejour's De Vu watching this movie? No. Did you Did you think about Jaws the Revenge as much as I did when I watched this movie? No. We're in the Bahamas. That's true. Jack Black has dreadlocks. Except when you're watching Jaws the Revenge, you you feel like you're in the Bahamas. Here, well, that, that's probably because they filmed it there, not Mexico. Right. But here you feel like you're either A, in Mexico, or B, on a set. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, it's a resort. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, it just it, it makes you think of the office. You keep thinking sandals, all inclusive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I couldn't get this out of my head when they went to the Bahamas. Um, then Jack Black turned up with his dreadlocks, and then so you're saying he emerges that... shark-like out of the water at one That's point. That's true. <laughs> doing a Jaws imitation. Imitation. There's voodoo in this movie, which, as we covered, voodoo was like the left on the cutting room floor but that was the driving force behind behind the and i was just like i was just like like this movie is obsessed with jaws but not the jaws jaws the revenge (laughs) this is a sequel that's obsessed with other sequels that's fucking great and and you know and and and, you know just to just to nod ahead to to the next movie this is not the last time they will steal something from a jaws sequel (laughs) in this franchise stay tuned then 
All right. Well, okay. Let's uh, let's take another break, and then we're gonna come back, and I want to talk to you about. And we've talked about this before with the Psycho series, how easily the murderer seems to be able to clean up his messes. So, <laughs> this is, this, if you had your way, this would be a cleaning podcast. I swear to God, Tom, it really bothers me. We're talking about it when we come back. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we are back once again here talking about I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Tom, when we last left, <laughs> you, you giving me a little shit about... My obsession with cleaning, but I'm telling you, if you watch the original and watch this movie, you're constantly saying to yourself, how the fuck is this guy doing this? In the original movie, there's a corpse in her trunk with 200 crabs in broad daylight. She leaves the car, brings her friends back, opens the trunk, everything's clean. So you tell me how a man in a slicker suit and a hook cleans that car in broad daylight without people seeing it. In this movie, she finds, I think it's the guy from the docks who pretends to be yeah. a native, but is not. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the, ra the ra race more racial problems. But he's hanging in her closet up high, like up, you know, high in a closet, blood yeah. all over the floor. She comes back, wiped clean, body not there. I, it, it just drives me fucking nuts how easy it is for this guy to move bodies. He's fucking magical, mystical himself, this murderer. Well, He's showing up in multiple, multiple locations five seconds after he was in another location. Yeah, I, I mean... Without the filmmaker telling you time has passed. <laughs> as I understand it, at this point in the franchise, he is not supernatural yet. <laughs> That's right. We got more to talk about, everyone. So it... <laughs> So you're right. You're right. He should not be. He should not have these skills yet. Um, you're you're a hundred percent right in that respect. But but yeah, that would be my only explanation. That that that. Uh, well, where does the voodoo play into this? Because we see, is it just a red herring to make you think that? I think yeah. I think it's a complete red herring. I was just gonna say it doesn't to make you think Bill Cobbs is the murderer. Just to make you think that the magical that, that black man. That would make man... sense that you could voodoo like. You could just move a doll around, and that would clean everything up. Like, right? You clean, but that's you clean the up the thing. doll, and then the corpse is gone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how voodoo works. I'm assuming Clearly. it's something like that. Clearly, brush up on your voodoo for fuck's sake. But you know that, like, I feel, I feel like there are several explanations. But when you see Ben Willis and he's like flesh and blood, you're like, well, all that goes out of the window. This guy shouldn't be able to do any of this. Right. And can we talk about how many opportunities the murderer has to murder Jennifer Love Hewitt? He locks her in a tanning booth. She's in her room brushing her teeth or something, and he walks right past her. Yeah. All of this is just to give us scares. But, hey, murderer, you're in the room with the person you want to kill. It's all about timing with him. He's a, he's really, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like Grandpa he, Seth from Troll Two. It's time timekeeping is very important. He's like, no, well, what no, seems no, it's not the right time to murder yet. What? Yeah, it's not. I'm it, on so a schedule. What seems, 
What <laughs> what seems important to him is before he murders, he wants Jennifer Love Hewitt to question her sanity. And in both this movie and the original, you have these fantastically stupid scenes where she, arms wide out, exasperated, just talks to the sky and says, come on and get me. You want to come? Come on, come and get me. I'm ready for you. Mm And then I feel like that's the moment where he goes, aha, now I'm ready to kill. <laughs> hey, look, I, I don't, I, th- I, I think we've only seen a, a fraction of the mythology underpinning the fisherman, as he is not known in this movie, but soon comes to be known. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe that, you know, he's like Dracula. You have to invite him to murder you. Before he <laughs> maybe he's like a catch and maybe he's like a catch and release release fisherman. He might be. That's true. <laughs> like he catches you and then lets you go, and then only. Well, kills you it, when it's he more. Needs yeah, you. exactly. It's more. He'll 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 murder one fish for every five he lets go. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is. He's pretty discriminating. Um. <laughs> so you know, it's. But how funny is it? Like, did you? There are moments in this movie where. I mean, you can see what's coming from a mile away, script-wise. Like, well, that t- I remember that when tanning they... booth sequence that you mentioned, uh, that scene writes itself. As soon as she, as soon as Brandy's like, "I'm going right. to leave you for a while," right? There's a murderer on the loose. I'm going to leave you here and go work out. You, so you, you know, both that you're getting at like gratuitous, naked bikini shots, mm-hmm. and that she's going to get trapped in that tanning bed. Correct. Before it even happens. But I even, you know, it's funny because say like, okay, they discover bodies. Everyone now believes her. They go to the kitchen, not to try to protect themselves, but because because Brandy's boyfriend needs a sandwich. He's hungry. Anyway. It's a nice touch. They're, they're in the kitchen. And, and he, he's as mu- enough of a douche to, to, to do that kind of thing. To, to do that thing. That's true. But they're in the kitchen, and I wrote a note that said, It's been too long since we saw Jennifer Esposito. I'm 100% sure she's behind that door. (laughs) And, of course, that's exactly what happens. Well, I mean, and and we have so many of those, like, those moments that play out exactly as you imagine them to play out. That when we get to the the final scare of the movie, you know, she she's taken by the killer from inside her bedroom mm-hmm. i'm just like you know i'm thinking back to troll 2 it's like this isn't a final scare this is just more bad shit right and that's the thing there's never like, been a let up in this bad shit for it to be no, a final yeah. scare. the the bad shit just trying to get to the end lasts like 25 minutes i mean it goes on forever they're in the house they're out of the house then they're in a greenhouse then they go to voodoo land then they come back yeah. Then they go to the kitchen. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on before you have the big reveal at the end. And I, I did think that, you know, Ben, when he falls into the mud grave, he sinks pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, he's sinking pretty fast. OK, he, but I was like, but still, you know how these guys work. Throw a few leaves on there. Just <laughs> let's 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 help nature take its course a little bit. Let's fucking pour because some if you cement. Leave him and his face is still exposed. He's gonna come back and kill you in your bedroom. <laughs> Learn from past mistakes. Yeah. So there was, you know, I mean, the big the biggest surprise is that three three me, uh, three men and women survive in the movie. Right. So it's like. But that I don't again. That seems arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Were you? What did you think of the reveal? What's the re- about Ben's son? Yeah. Um, pretty sure exactly the same thing happens in Screams two to four. I think it's three. Is it three? Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, again, it's it's fine. I it's like it's just short of that that 
sweet spot that Scream has, where it's like, yeah, you know, we what we need is Jamie Kennedy to come on a camcorder recording and say, <laughs> "Here are the rules of this movie." Yeah, explain some shit to us. And the best we get here is like at one point they say that you know Ben Willis is like Freddy or Jason or somebody, and it's like, if you're gonna try and make the comparison. <laughs> work a little bit harder if you could please yeah uh but i mean it yeah, didn't it's uh you know what really really struck me about when ben willis turns up i don't know if this is the case in the first movie it's certainly the case in the third movie um we have a lot of actors whose voice and body are separated uh-huh he speaks <laughs> in pure adr <laughs> And I don't did I did they cast an actor who looked perfect, but you know spoke like a mouse, and then someone who was the size of a mouse, but had the voice of a killer. I don't know how this how the casting works. You know. No. Yeah. I, well, I don't know how anything in this movie works. For you know the whole plot line to me of Freddie Prince Jr. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the as we said before, the movie goes to great lengths to. To show you how he got to the Bahamas in the middle of a, a, a storm that we're told no one can leave or go to the island. That's the whole point. And they're, they're mm-hmm. obviously so fragile. The screenwriters are so fragile about people poking holes in that theory. Yeah. <laughs> that we have to have an entire second movie, which is Freddie Prince takes the bus to Miami, kidnaps a boat and goes to the Bahamas. Well, and I, the one thing I loved so much because, okay, first of all, Slicker, Slicker Man tries to run over Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. just runs over a, a highway barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get out of the car and stab him, but no, they just cut the scene. And the next thing you do is you see him in the hospital. He's in the hospital. And the next thing you hear is beep. All the nurses freak out. They go in the room. No, he's 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 left. He's he's taken all his stuff off, put on clothes, and jumped out a window. Then he gets on a bus. Then he, like you said, kidnaps a boat. I mean, the amount of shit this guy's going through to try and go and save his girlfriend is a lot. And then he's going to the Bahamas in the middle of a storm, and the first thing he does is get on the CB, and he says, hello, Mayday, Mayday, got a problem here, got a problem here on the boat, yeah, no, big I'm here, storm. <laughs> so, well, I, I, yeah, and I mean, it's it's sort of saying, like, having, having gone to the lengths of trying to set up the fact that they are completely isolated, you... You have to work back from that. So I guess I don't know. I guess they're sort of they're sort of saying like, you know, um, if you plan ahead, you can you can go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, it's, it's right. I mean, I I I think I think I would have preferred him just turning up and it being entirely implausible. I mean, drop drop him in by helicopter. I don't care. Really? He's just, at that point, he's just a cog in in the machine of horror. You know, that's a thing that happens is someone who you think is, if not dead, then too far away to do anything about it. How about, right, comes back and saves the day. And that's that's the kind of trope of that. But this movie has a real bug up. But it just seems so. But about. Well, how would he? How would he get the? You know, how would he get to Miami? Well, he'd take a bus. Would that be a nice journey? No, he'd have to take pills to kill the pain. An old woman mm-hmm. would stare at him. I was like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, of course. It remind. I tell you what, it really reminded me of. Uh, you, well, we'll probably get there at some point, but uh, Toy Story Four, when the Key and Peele characters start telling a story of how they're going to steal the keys from a woman. And they, t- oh, they that, tell yeah. everything in the story that is irrelevant. Right. Like her driving home, her having uh-huh. a glass right. of wine going yeah, to the yeah, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, the characters interrupt from it's like, where's the story going? That is exactly how I felt about all these sequences. <laughs> well, how about the sequence? The sequence that made me laugh out loud is when 
They're kind of walking around. They're walking gingerly. They're trying not to make a lot of noise. And Jennifer Love Hewitt turns around to Brandy and says, hey, hold my hand. And she says, I am holding your hand. Oh, yeah. And they're like a good 10 feet apart from each other. Like, it's such a ridiculous bit of nonsense. I mean, 90% of the time when this movie does stuff that's on the nose, it just feels very superficial. There's one mm-hmm. or two moments that I think kind of work in a in a John Landis horror sort of way. Like it's very you know, like you're being really obvious but in quite a fun way. And the fun uh-huh. is that everyone understands what's happening. Right. And I thought the karaoke sequence was one of those. When she starts singing I Will Survive, I thought, Yeah, that could have been in like a John Landis movie. Sure. That's not too yeah. different. But there are precious few of those moments Um, no yeah they're few and far between yeah so i'll tell you what i was totally on board for though oh go go ahead is that's not uh, bill cobbs tell me well ben ben willis right yeah the 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 fisherman the fisherman ben willis killing his own son ah yeah I was totally on board for that. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, I guess that that's not that's not what you yeah that's not what you um, expect to happen. Um, but everything about it, I thought it was shot well. Yeah. You realize the horror that has transferred onto Ben because complete opposite of his intention wants to kill Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I loved that. Yep. I, I can... Uh... But then, of course, that's followed up by Jennifer Love Hewitt shooting him with a revolver that has six bullets with no fewer than, like, nine shots. So many bullets in that gun. This movie cannot leave a good thing alone. Yeah, right. It has to unravel it to the point where it is, you know, ends up being, you know, odds even... <laughs> every single time. Well, it's and e- so it's easy come easy go for everything good in this movie. And and the th- yeah, exactly right. And the thing about it is how this movie ends speaks directly to that where they've saved the day, they think Ben's dead, and Brandy and Jennifer Love Hewitt are making jokes about mm-hmm. I, I forget even what, the weather or something like that. And I just keep thinking, hey, Brandy, your boyfriend's dead. Yeah. Take a moment, would you? You know, like tip your cap, have a moment of silence, maybe. Yeah. Uh- but it, but But basically, it's one of those movies where, hey, everything that happened before this, it's okay now because we're safe. And, and and the murderer's gone. So no, we no can go one was on with our lives. In the sun. <laughs> right? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I did, the the only other thing of note that, again, you know, for our purposes of this being a sequel that I, you know, drew out of this, um, movie was very early on in the movie, uh, Jennifer Love You had seen looking at photos of the actors who aren't in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered how much time in sequels is spent people looking at photos of people who aren't in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to do a supercut of that. Of people who are in the last movie. <laughs> yeah, like if you would do like a, like a would it end up like Christian Markley's the, the Clock? Would it last 24 hours? Just people looking <laughs> at photos of people in sequels who aren't in that movie. That's great. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. I can, I can think already of, think of like two hours worth of that in sequels right now. Right. <laughs> so when you saw the very last shots of this movie, what'd you think? Did you, because in my mind, if they were going to make another sequel, well, then that's obviously just another dream sequence. She's just having bad dreams again. Oh, yeah, again. yeah. They'd have, to, right? they'd have to, well, I mean, they did make a sequel to this. And they didn't walk. But no, but they didn't. So I <laughs> they guess did that, in, that means they that... did in name only. <laughs>
Yeah, that that new piece of information you told me about them walk about them walking back. I mean, that, at, the, at the very least, I'll always know what you did last summer. Does not try to undo the final moment. Doesn't it? Doesn't retcon that final moment. Nope. Yeah. And that's that's pretty big of a of a sequel thing to do. So um, well, they they gave themselves no choice by by where they decided to place that story and <laughs> the story they tried to tell. But but basically, we'll you're talk asking, about that in the next like, episode. If, you know, how would they? Because there's there's very you know there's different variations of this in other horror horror movies that are like the template of how to do it. Again, this sure. movie has no excuse. You think of of uh, Friday the Thirteenth, um, Part Two. It begins looking as if it's going to be about the final girl, and she's like killed mm-hmm. pretty much immediately. Right. And you know, so th- there's there's different ways of kind of handling, you know, expectation about um, where it's going to go. I guess you don't see her being killed. Um, but it's a good question, and you know, maybe maybe one of our picture sequels could address. Oh yeah. What's uh, what what really <laughs> happened? Well, stay tuned for that, everybody. We've got I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer coming up next, followed by our Pitch a Sequel segment. Tom, any last words for I Still Know What You Did Last Summer? Um, I used to be a lifeguard, and I'm about to blow my whistle. <laughs> more, li- yeah, more, more words of wisdom from Brandy <laughs> Nemoisha. <laughs> All right. For Tom Stewart and Lonesome Whistle Productions, I'm Mike Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. That's it for I uh, <laughs> no. I can say I you can't even like say you, the you title. You said I, and then you signed. I, I just went, damn it. Can you? That should be on the I. No, uh... oh, for fuck's sake! I still know what you did last summer. Piece of shit. Goodbye. <laughs>